This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. Today, we're rounding with Dr. Paula Santrak, Associate Professor of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology, Consultant in Transfusion Medicine at Mayo Clinic, to discuss cultivating quality in the clinical practice. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Santrak. Great. Thank you for having me. One of the things I, I neglected to drop in there is you have served as Chief Quality Officer for the Mayo Clinic Enterprise. Did I have that title correct? Yes, I was the Chief Quality Officer, responsible for quality across the enterprise, and it was mostly on the clinical practice. So I got a whole new perspective on things, as well as understanding it in the lab. That's brilliant. So just for our listeners out there, pay extra attention to this one. I think Dr. Santrak uh, obviously has a lot of expertise in hospital quality, but also as a pathologist brings a lot from the laboratory side to the table. So maybe can we get started with most people appreciate that, that quality is important. However, what's this emphasis on why is it really important for leaders in our practice to really understand quality for clinical practice? The most important thing right now when you think about quality is the connection that everyone is trying to make between quality and value. So where the whole medicine is trying to look at a value-based approach. So what are we doing? Outcomes are we seeing? You know, all of that, how does that relate to value? And so what's happening basically is that everyone who's a payer is tying quality to the payment systems. It started out with pay for performance, where you got paid if you met certain metrics. I think eventually we're going to get to paying for outcomes. So if you think about quality measures, there are really three kinds. There's the structural measures, like you have an ICU to treat pediatric cardiac surgery patients. That's a structural measure. We know good places have those kinds of services. And so structures are either kind of a yes or no. So you have to assess your facility. Do we have all the right kind of structures we need to support the practice? Then the second type is a process measure. And that's usually how a patient flows through the system and are certain process metrics met? Like if a patient presents with infection, how fast do they get a lactate to determine whether or not they have sepsis and how long before they get the appropriate antibiotic? And you can measure basically the times on all of those. But what really people want to look at in the long run are the outcomes. So what is the outcome? So is, a, is this particular so care pathway produce an excellent outcome for patients or not? What are the things that go into it? So I always think about structure, process, and outcome. And I think one of the things for the laboratory to consider is that, again, a lot of these measures have laboratory information embedded in them. <laughs> mm. And so you have to know 
what the metrics are that are important for reimbursement or reporting or whatever, you have to know what the laboratory components are. So as I, if I go back to the sepsis example, you know, right now there's a very complicated metric that hospitals have to report on how well they do with sepsis. One of the key indicators is, did they get a lactate within an hour of admission? And so people have to say, okay, if we don't have a way to do that, how do we? So we have point of care lactate. It's available in the ED and other and in ICUs to be able to get that value quickly so we can triage patients most appropriately. So that's a really good example of how the laboratory is really embedded in these metrics. And so you have to know what's important and then you have to build processes around them in order to basically be able to meet the expectation that's been set by national organizations and CMS. Wow, I love how you brought that together and shown for our listeners how really as laboratorians who are listening to this can think about maybe engaging with their clinician colleagues and, and about how can I help you? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and likewise, our clinicians that are listening to our pathology laboratory is a wonderful collaborator for mm-hmm. these sorts of improvements, which ultimately are resulting in patient outcome differences. Mm-hmm. And for students, it, it also kind of highlights to them, how does pathology actually play a role in, in our patient care? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really, really appreciate you starting us off on that headspace. Now, in recent years, what have we learned about quality and how we do quality? in the hospital? There's a number of lessons, but probably one of the major ones is if you build it, they will come does not work. We can't in the laboratory build something all by ourselves and say, here you go, because what's important to physicians and the clinical practice is different than what's important to us. You know, we're about the quality of the result and the delivery of the result And they're more interested in the bigger picture and how does it fit into their workflow? If you think about buying a house, what's most important? Location, 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 okay? When you think about putting something new into the practice, what are the providers most worried about? Workflow, workflow, workflow. And so you really have to design processes with them in order to create the right workflow for efficiency and effectiveness. I can't emphasize that enough. Workflow, workflow, workflow. That's one of the challenges of electronic medical records is that often the workflow is defined by others and you're kind of like, well, okay, that doesn't really fit our workflow. So it's really a kind of working out what works best from a workflow perspective. I can't emphasize that enough. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned is with that group. The other thing that's important when you think about quality improvement is replication is not the answer. You can't just take a process in one place 
and dump it in another place and it'll work the same way. It doesn't happen. Everybody, no matter how standardized you are, no matter how much of an integrated health system you are, there are differences between groups in a lot of different ways. So if you're trying to take something and put it in another place, you have to think about adaptation. Standardization is important, but there's a certain degree of customization that has to happen when you get down to the nuts and bolts of how it works in a particular system. So I think those are some of the most important things that we've sort of learned in that. And I, I guess the other thing is it doesn't have to be a big deal. You can make small improvements. <laughs> that make things better. So, you know, you don't have to have a 20 person team, you know, brainstorming and trying to figure out a process. Sometimes it just takes a small group and a little bit of tweaking to sort of get where you need to go. So, but again, everybody's distracted by a lot of things these days. So it's sometimes hard to keep the focus. And I think that's, again, one of the challenges that I've seen in terms of working with the clinical practice is making decisions sometimes in isolation. And that's never a good thing because you really have to be thinking about other people and how they're gonna, how they're gonna be part of it. So trying to put multidisciplinary teams together for big things is important. And you've gotta be able to do that. And it's important to have methodologies to do that. But you also have to be able to sort of just fix something in the in front of you. And maybe it's very simple, or maybe you realize it's not as simple as I thought. <laughs> but <laughs> again, <laughs> you always have to understand the environment that you're in, the players, and how things are influenced. It's all about innovation and doing things different. And I think that that's great and it's a nice push, but we also have to make sure that what we wanna innovate is worth innovating and does what we want it to do in the end. And so there's lots of things that get tried. Not everything works and it's okay if it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer because I feel like with the first two aspects of that, right, that don't just build it, they won't come. <laughs> the, the field of failed dreams there. Yeah, I feel exactly. like that in combination with the, you just can't replicate what somebody else has done. Both of those, what I'm hearing is this message of communication and the importance of interspecialty, interprofessional communication. And then the third one, thank God. <laughs> Pearl that you shared really kind of takes a lot of the pressure out of, I don't have to do the biggest, most innovative thing in the world. Sometimes small steps are a fantastic way to get started down this mm -hmm. pathway. Mm -hmm. So on those first two though, initial points that kind of talked about communication, can we dive down that a little bit? And so how do we actually implement this in clinical practice for success, for sustainability? You talked about you know, putting together an interdisciplinary team. What's the secret sauce for putting that together? Uh, well, I think, again, it depends on the organization and how big the organization is. So if I think about at Mayo, we have multiple levels. So we have enterprise-related projects where our team looking at fixing something or making something better 
is got Arizona, Florida, the health system in Rochester in it. And there's more negotiation that goes on when you're at that kind of level, but sometimes that's what you need to do. We have antibiotic stewardship program is really an enterprise wide. So there are a number of enterprise wide groups and you want to have those and you want to have some of the experts sitting on those so they know what's coming down the pike. Somebody say an infectious disease knows there's a new antibiotic coming out and it's for this kind of thing. How are we going to implement that in our practice? So it's making sure that you have enough expertise, but you also have enough process views in order to sort of understand what you need to do. Then there are things that happen at a site level. Right now we're looking at purchased tissues. You know, how do we manage those in Rochester? So we might be looking at a site department. So any level you can think of has that opportunity to do this. And we have a quality academy that can teach people. So we have a bronze, silver, and gold curriculum that teaches people how to make improvements, how to do quality improvement. And they get, you know, certification at those levels. And those are motivators for people. Just the other day, I was talking to someone, yes, we have a project, and this would be, make me a gold. And they were all excited. <laughs> so, you know, it's important to give recognition to the people who do the work and who make progress. We also have had a quality conference where people can come, they can put up posters, they give talks. So again, people can talk and mingle and learn from each other about what things worked and what didn't. And, and mm -hmm. so I think it's always important to have that culture of sort of open discussion of things. And you know what? Failure happens. It's okay. There's probably a reason for it. And you, and you learn from it. You can go down a path. I, I'm currently looking at something where, and we're going in this direction, but I can already get the sense that I bet this isn't going to work basically because the group I want to work with is not going to be able to do it. It's never just this straight line from here I am to where I'm going. It's always crooked <laughs> and sometimes takes major detours. <laughs> but again, you keep working as a group to find sort of the right answer and the acceptable answer. And you've always got to talk to the people who are going to be actually doing the process because they're the ones who are going to live with the efficiency or inefficiency that you've built into it. Join us for this year's virtual phlebotomy conference to be held via live stream April 15th through 16th, 2021. Visit mailcliniclabs.com forward slash 2021 phlebotomy for more information. Something that you said there, I wanted to just dive into a little further. You brought up the idea of failure is okay, which I think is such an important concept to embrace, especially to get to that open discussion point in your community, in your environment. And I'm curious about, um, you talk about recognition for these project successes. How do we do that when maybe the project is a failure, but still keep that motivation high in our community, make sure it's it's normalized as sometimes it doesn't work out, 
but not that it's something that we we don't talk about anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, so with any project, there's some piece of it that probably went right. So again, focus on Mm. the positives, (laughs) not on the negatives. And then kind of as a debrief, all right, so what did the negatives teach us? What Mm. did we learn that we can apply in other cases? You're building up your repertoire and your knowledge with every project that you do in terms of what you do. Most important is that open communication. We all learn from each other and we should continue to do so in terms of learning from the successes and the less than successful projects. And some projects are really exciting and some projects are really boring. (laughs) Yeah, get the whole spectrum. And again, you've got to really, I mean, focus on what it is you're trying to accomplish. How does the laboratory fit in? The lab is often forgotten. One time I was at a meeting with um, a bunch of leaders and they were talking about opening up a new clinical space. And one of the leaders said, oh, we don't have to worry about the lab. It's a utility. It's like a utility. And I did a face slap sort of silently (laughs) and went, "Eh, not really. And I think, again, you have to get out there. You have to sort of really show how what you do has an influence on workflow. People want to talk about outcomes and all this stuff, but how does the lab facilitate the right kind of care for the patient? It's critical in terms of what we do, and you have to know the metrics in order to understand what it is you have to provide. I love that message. Another aspect that I'm curious about, I just want to make sure to cover this issue of sustainability. Uh, I mean, for a lot of times, right, you know, this is the hot thing right now we're working on, and then uh, it can fall apart later on as we're not so focused on it, maybe. That was the project from three years ago. That's not where our focus is right now kind of thing. What have you kind of learned from your experiences for what are ways to really make that successful and sustainable, I guess? Sustainable is what I'm asking about. Yeah. So I think sustainability is really, the key to that is hardwiring, which is not easy to do. (laughs) Everybody wants to hardwire it, but, you know, it's making the right thing to do, the easy thing to do, or the only thing to do. And although those are great concepts, they can be hard. You have to look at interventions in terms of their strength. There's weak interventions. So if you've got something and you're going to say, okay, now the way to fix this is you're going to have to double check the identification on that specimen. That's a pretty weak intervention because you don't have any way to necessarily prove that you did it, but you could introduce barcode, which would be, again, a little bit more hardwiring. So it's a matter of how hardwired can you get? And sometimes you can get pretty far and sometimes you can't. And so you have to understand just how far you can go with hard wiring without interfering with the individualized care of the patient. So, you know, again, there's lots of standardization that's happening as part of an electronic medical record, but there always has to be ways to sort of deal with other kinds of situations. So what I find right now is that our medical record is constantly changing. 
And so we find that we need a new kind of note or we need a new kind of this and it gets implemented. And so it's again, all of this is an evolution. Nothing happens sort of in a silo. It can't anymore. Mm -hmm. We're all, we're way too connected technologically <laughs> in order for that to be that way. This is wonderful. I, I think you've been dropping pearls for us this whole podcast about the connections, this communication. And, you know, I'm also hearing a lot of situational awareness coming through and what you're talking about with us today. I was wondering, could we kind of close out with thoughts on where the future of quality improvement in medicine is headed? What are your thoughts around that? The future is full of data. <laughs> I think we're going to have more data than we know what to do with. And we'll have to figure out what it means. And so there's lots of, you know, building registries to be able to understand kind of how things work for patients. There's just a lot of data and data mining that is kind of starting or is ongoing. I think we're just going to learn a lot as um, this happens. So data. And the thing is, how do you make sense of the data? How do we analyze it? in a way that is meaningful to us. I currently just got a data dump of all of these cases around a certain technology because I'm trying to figure out how people are using it. And that's going to take me a while because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very adept at anything sort of beyond Excel. So, <laughs> but I think, again, I, one of the recommendations is get knowledgeable about how to data mine and do data analysis. Uh, you know, one of the biggest jobs now these days is a data scientist. So how do you make sense out of what the data is? The other big thing that's coming is artificial intelligence or mm -hmm. as Mayo calls it, augmented human intelligence. How are we going to use the data to do artificial sort of intelligence. And that is something like, how likely is this patient to die in the next six months? And what should we do about that? And it may be that it's a time for a discussion about end of life care. It may be about, oh, okay, so we've got a crossroads now and we can go this way or this way um, with therapies. So I think how does all the data and knowledge about patients' previous outcomes help to try to define the path forward for the particular patient that's sitting in front of you? I think mm -hmm. that's the future. Uh, that's where I know a lot of people want to go. It's not going to be easy, but I think it's important because we can only do so much with our human brains. We need those artificial brains to sort of be able to kind of master the data and tell us what's meaningful in there. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. I think that right there, I'm going to put a tack in that and that's going to be changing my behavior on what sessions I'm going to at our next conferences. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Data is a wonderful thing. Data is a quicksand if you let it. <laughs> so we've been rounding with Dr. Santrak. Thank you so much, Dr. Santrak, for taking the time to discuss quality and the ins and outs on how to actually realize the benefits of it. Thank you so much. You, you are so welcome. Thank you. 
To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions by email at mcleducation at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations. Mm -hmm.